Hey, good people, this is your NI Down back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, yay, it's season five. Today is August 1st, 2022. And I took a break for the month of July. And I am here to start this season by telling you about that break. The month of July is what I'm going to say is my starting point. And don't, don't underestimate this reflection just because I'm saying it as a recap. Because sometimes when I do that, uh, it doesn't get a lot of uh, attention. But there are about seven things that I could, I'm going to mention uh, that happened in July and uh, a lot of, um, goodies, a lot of clarity, a lot of clarity happened. And I want to share that with you. And, um, I want to do a little housekeeping too about season five. Going to make some small tweaks, some minor tweaks, but tweaks nonetheless. And so I want to do a little housekeeping and I'm going to do my acknowledgements formally known as disclaimers. And I'll talk to you at some point about why I'm not going to say disclaimers anymore. And I'll talk to you about that in housekeeping, I guess. And um, and then we'll do the reflection. So we're starting off with a topic, <laughs> the month of July, and of about seven things that I want to share with you that offer some really good nuggets uh, that I think there are good nuggets for me and I've I believe you're going to, it's going to be a value to you as well. And so those seven things I want to share with you, um, more so I'm going to unpack more of those than others, but I'm going to at least mention the seven to you. I'm going to do a lot of housekeeping on season five, some changes, and then I'm going to do my acknowledgments and then I will move into a reflection. Okay. <laughs> so, um, let me just quickly list these seven things right quick. Number one, confronting my spirituality. Number two, the friendship project. Number three, remembering my dad. Number four, family, um, excuse me, maturing in my family needs. Mm-mm, I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't have that titled right. I want to say emotionally maturing regarding my family. That's number four. Number five, sexuality. Number six, weight gain. (laughs) It's not funny. And then number seven, a new job, (laughs) y'all. So you're going to have to stick around to hear about that. Um, Confronting my spirituality, the friendship project, remembering my dad, Emotionally, emotional maturity regarding my family, sexuality, weight gain, and a new job. Okay. Let me do a little housekeeping. Um, for season five, there are just a few changes I'm going to make. I am going to drop the frequency again down to 25 episodes. For season three and four, I dropped the frequency down to 50. So seasons one and two, when I started the project in the middle of the pandemic, I did a hundred 
episodes per season. And a season roughly aligns with a, with a semester from January to June, from July to August, except I usually take a month off. So it gives me a five-month season, okay? And so I went from 100 down to 50, and then this these next two seasons for season five, season six, I want to drop it down to 25. In dropping it down to 25, there are two other, there are some other changes that are going to be made. I'm going to give myself permission to make those reflections 75 minutes in length. I would imagine that there's going to be more ground to cover, just as like what happened with going from 100 to 50. My episodes got longer. I mean, if I was talking more, the episodes didn't need to be longer. So I want to just anticipate that and try to keep within the 75 minute mark, but I'm not going to hold to that. Intuitively, I'll have to see what it looks like. I'm not going to lock it in, but this is what I'm thinking. All right, so 25, 75-minute episodes, okay? Also going to do more a YouTube, I want to channel videos. I did upload three YouTube videos this morning. One is called Mi Casa Ain't Tu Casa, and it talks about all the family visitors, all the visitors I had in my house in July. <laughs> Mi Casa Ain't Tu Casa, go check that out on YouTube. Uh, N.I. and N.E. Samus, that's a reflection that I did in response to Lijo, and she talked about the language differences between NI and NE, and I see that as sameness and not differences. So go check that out. And then um, the INTJ Academic and did um, an episode about like six theories around leadership. And I was like, yo, that's interesting to me, especially as relating to my not just my new job, but the um, breakthroughs that I had in seasons three and season four about me as a leader. So I just thought that was perfect timing when I saw that come up. I was like, yo, let me do a reflection. So those are three YouTube videos that are already on, um, already out. I recorded them over the past month, but I, I uploaded them this morning. Mi casa ain't tu casa, and I in any sameness and leadership. Go check them out, okay? So with that being said, I'm going to, I want to try to start doing some instructional videos. Um, like three things you need to know about INTJs. <laughs> Five things you need to know about being a social Enneagram 8. <laughs> Three instincts of the Enneagram, right? I really want to try my hand at that. It's not what I've been doing, but I want to try because I am anticipating um, some, I'm anticipating what seasons seven and eight will look like. And so I want to just start practicing on YouTube, okay? So that's what another change I'm going to be making in season five. And then... Um, Um, and I think the last tweak that I'm making to season five is acknowledgements. <laughs> and it, this just occurred to me yesterday, actually, as I was thinking about the project and I said disclaimers and all of a sudden I've been saying disclaimers for four seasons, you guys. And all of a sudden yesterday, when I said the word disclaimers, I was just thinking about because I was thinking about changing my disclaimers, like dropping it, condensing it, 
taking some of those disclaimers out. And then it occurred to me, why are you saying disclaimers? To disclaim something is to cancel or put distance to a thing. To make an exception to put some distance. Am I putting distance to me being an INTJ8? To me being an African-American woman? You know what I mean? So I'm not doing that. And maybe, no, that's, let me clean that up. When I first started this project, when I first started doing these disclaimers, it started, the disclaimer started when I started sharing my reflections in Facebook. And I was like, ooh, these people in Facebook know me through personality theory. And I want them to know, wait a minute, you're not going to get a, you're not going to get your normal personality theory reflection. So let me give you some disclaimers. Yeah, I'm an INDJ, but I'm also a black woman. You don't have that many kind people in the type community. You do. We, there are black women who, who are into this, but they're not, they're not as um, populated. Um, you don't see them as much. The other thing I had to come to terms with was being from a lower socioeconomic background. And that intergenerational trauma was life-changing when I confronted that. But I wanted to let you know, hey, I'm talking about personality theory. But because I come from this uh, intergenerational trauma, that might pop up. And uh, here's another thing about me. I'm an educator and a social scientist. So I might not just talk about personality theory. I might talk about the outer world in a systematic way. And that doesn't feel acceptable to me anymore. I don't want to put distance to those things as an exception. I'm saying this project is where I process my inner and my outer worlds. And I do so by these things. By these identities that I have. Those aren't exceptions. I don't begrudge those. I don't want to delimit that, minimize it. I want to embrace it. And I want to acknowledge that at the beginning, I think that there was some distancing I was doing. Some, yeah, I'm here to talk to you about personal development through personal theory, personality theory. But here's some things that might come up that's different. And I'm saying, let me acknowledge this, these, these components to who I am in a celebratory way, not in a distancing way. Can I celebrate that I'm from intergenerational trauma? No. But I've been doing some reading this past July and I've found somebody not religious. <laughs> That talked about gifts that are that people who come from trauma actually bring gifts into the world. Now I've heard that before. When I was deep in going to church, I've heard that from religious leaders, but I've never heard that in a secular world. I've never heard that from someone who's taught who's like a um, a researcher or a therapist around trauma. And so, yeah, those are there are gifts. You know, making lemonade out of lemons. There are gifts that are associated with surviving trauma. Not being traumatized, but surviving it. 
And all of that is a, that's, those are all of the gifts of being a black woman, of being an INTJ8. Coming from a lower socioeconomic background, from intergenerational trauma, being an educator and social scientist, leader. All of those are gifts, even being a critical race feminist. All of those are gifts. And I don't want to say disclaimers anymore. I want to say acknowledgement. So, <laughs> one of one change that I was going to make to season five was to not have any introductions that would go over ten minutes, five, ten minutes. I don't think I can do that. Um, I've, I don't think I can do that, especially if the reflection is going to be seventy-five minutes. So we're going to try to stick to fifteen. Uh, I'm going to try to make them five minutes, but I definitely I'm going to make a commitment. I will not go over fifteen minutes. So with that being said, let me do my acknowledgments. I just did them, but let me do them in a, in, according to the format. And then we'll do the reflection. If you're new to this process, if, starting over. <laughs> if you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two theories that I use the most are the Enneagram, mm-mm, the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram, pushing those two systems together. I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma, which, by the way, I was reading, I could say, and maybe I should say complex trauma. trauma. We'll talk about that at some other time. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist, and half of that of t- uh, 30 years and half of that time has been in leadership. I politically identify, and maybe spiritually too, as a critical race feminist, which means I have an intellectual sensitivity to power in the social world relating to race, class, sexuality, gender. And this project is unedited, is unscripted. <laughs> As you can tell, I'm struggling here. I haven't done this in a month, you guys. Give me a break. This project is unedited and it's unscripted. If you want to know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. Yournidom.wordpress.com. Okay. Under 15 minutes, show. <laughs> All right. I have, like I said, seven things. Um, that happened in July. We have about an hour and 15 minutes left, excuse me, an hour left of this reflection. And uh, we'll see what I'm able to cover. I don't want to act as though I'm going to cover all seven of those things. I want to start off actually talking about remembering my dad. It just feels important to do that. Um, around this time last year, my dad was in his final descent in terms of his physical presence in this earth. In August, we did not talk. Um, I called him, though. You know what? That's not true. Oh, my God. I feel better now. Okay, I feel better. (laughs) I was thinking we didn't talk in August, but we did. Because my father got ordained as a pastor in August. I have to check out his anniversary. And um, I knew I knew I was going to cry. <laughs> and um, 
I'm sorry, you guys. I expected it, but I said I was going to cry, but I really didn't expect to. But it is what it is. Um, so my father got ordained as a pastor in August of last year. And he invited me to, uh, I believe it was August. And so I went to that. Um, and I, I um, so we saw each other, but we didn't talk. But he waved at me. He saw me there. But he got mad at me. <laughs> and I think we did have a verbal exchange where he left me a voicemail message. And he uh, he called me a, a, a bald-faced liar. You know what? Because I was, I started season three and I've told you guys that story. So yes, I feel better because I thought I hadn't talked to him. Uh, he died in September and I thought I didn't talk to him for August, but we did talk. We did communicate. It wasn't lovey dovey, but the last 10 years of his life, our relationship wasn't really lovey dovey, but. He did say some, um, he did say some loving things to me. Um, and that's how I'm going to remember my dad. And this is what I came to for July. Um, I received a lot of visitors, um, a lot of visitors and, um, and a lot of company, a lot of people around me at the first half of July. It was a lot. It was intense. We had our family reunion. Then my brother, my dad's son, his only son, um, my half-brother, came to stay with me for about four or five days. With his visit, um, gave me greater access. With his visit and the family reunion and my double sister being in town, gave me exposure to my half-sister. And there was some stuff happening with my cousin, whose mom, my aunt, just passed. And we I talked about that in April. And that is incredibly complicated. And I don't even feel like talking about it now. That It's so complicated. Uh, but I do want to talk to you guys about it at some point. But in that complication, what I will say is this. I realized that as I was with them, I felt so far away from my dad. And I wanted to take this summer to grieve him. I couldn't grieve him over the school year because the school year was intense. He died in September. I did a little grieving. I just didn't really have it. I didn't have time because I was really struggling with the job. So I said I was going to take this summer to grieve. My aunt died in, in April. I was like, yo, what is... You doing this civil, sibling rivalry thing that, you know, I grieved her, but I was still needing to grieve my father. And what I found is that while I was, I was so excited to have all of the siblings, all of my dad's kids come together, including this time with my cousin who my dad treated as a son. I was like, oh, we can get together and we can, we can celebrate dad. I wasn't even like, 
I don't think I was delusional. Like, oh, we could just celebrate him and ignore all of my father's complications. I thought that we could even come together and talk about those complications and maybe heal together. And that there was a togetherness that we would be able to experience. That's not true. It's not true at all. What I found is that we, some of this is kind of unbelievable that I'm really realizing this. I don't, I feel like there may be some, I don't know if I want to say delusion on my behalf, but some definite gaps. There's some definite gaps on my behalf because we all had different experiences with him. I know that. I knew that. I don't know why I thought we could bring those different experiences together and create a unified experience for my dad. Yeah. So it's not that I was delusional about the different experiences, but thinking that we could come together and have a unified experience, remembering him, memorializing him, preserving him. And that's just not, sorry, it just, it couldn't happen. Uh, You have two people, one who's, and we all have pain as it relates to my father. That's what's so sucky about it. He was, um, he was a hurtful man at times, or he could do hurtful things. And some of us haven't forgiven him for that. I feel like, I don't know if I've forgiven him. I've understood him. And in that understanding, I want to give him grace. So I don't know how I'll feel next year. Because I'm pausing because I am thinking about... how much anger I had for him and how frustrated I was. And so I'm like, are you romanticizing him? And I don't think that. But what I realized this summer when I was with my siblings is that I had 30 years with him. That was complicated. But I was a daddy's girl. He was daddy for me for 30 years. I'm sorry, you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> Ooh. I thought I had. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, it's there. It's right there, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. I'm over here really crying. Yeah. So. I may have said that before the season ended. Before season four ended. But it just really hit me. When I was around my siblings. That there was a long time. And that I was a daddy's girl. That was daddy. 
this thing that this conflict was that this tension these this anger was just within the last ten years. And here's the question: Am I gonna take a whole lifetime and remember him based on ten years? I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. He's always been the jack in the box father. I talked about that last in season three. Check that out. I haven't gone back to listen to that episode, by the way. It's too tough. <laughs> I'm not ready to, but so it's not like I'm 51 years old. It's not like, yeah, he was just around all the time. No, you know, he would come and go. But I think, you know, I want to go back and I want to think, and I, and I, I keep a journal, I've been keeping a journal all my life. So I want to go back to my earlier journals, like in my twenties, when he would come and go, what, how did I make sense of that? Because I know when I was a kid, I made sense of it. He was in conflict with my mother. It was painful, but it was never about me per se. My mother recently tried to make it about us like, oh, he, I never had a problem with your dad. It's unbelievable that she would say that. Unbelievable that she would say that in the fact that she's very comfortable with talking about being a survivor of domestic violence as relating to my father. So I, I don't even, I don't even know what that's about. I have no idea what that's about. I'm not going to do that right now. But anyway, but the last 10 years, it got, it was really bad. It started getting bad in my thirties. Um, because he started like doing these psychological things, uh, uh, and I was like clapping back. He'd say something, I'd clap back. And I think in my clapping back, that's an expression where I'm like, you know, you say one thing, I'm going to say something back. You're not going to bite. I'll, you bite, I bite. <laughs> and I would always tell him, you know, that in, that, that spirit is that's in you, it's in me. Don't get it twisted. I told him that. So he bite, I bite. He clap, I clap back. And so... I think as he experienced me clapping back, he didn't know what to do with that. And that became a problem for him. And then what I fully suspect, and my half-sister hasn't denied it, although I don't even want to get it. I really don't want to get into this. But um, she, she hasn't denied it. I believe that as my father started realizing he was not going to be able to control me, he started problematizing me, talking about me to my aunt, my cousin, and my half-sister. And he probably would have tried to do it to my double sister. But my double sister was like, no, we're not doing that. And I always said, we're not doing that. So my double sister and I presented to uh, as a united front to him. So he couldn't, he couldn't penetrate that, but he was able to penetrate these other relationships. So in the aftermath, after he's passed, now these people come like, 
you're coming to the table and that, this is something that they're all trying to do with two of the four. Like, let's, well, let's be close. And I'm really struggling with that because that closeness is based off an erasure of the goodness of my father. Because no one really has that but me. And my mom said, she said, out of all his kids, you experience the healthiest part of your father. That's true. So you guys, I said all of that to say that's how I've decided I'm going to remember him. There's a lot I do want to unpack about what happened when all four of us got together this past July. That's an event that's not even really on this list, believe it or not. There's so much there. I probably will need five episodes to talk about that. There's a lot there. But um, I do want to come back and talk about it. But for now, I'm just going to say that when we got together, I realized that there was 30 years of my time with my dad that I don't want erased. And I don't want to do a closeness that's based on that erase, any type of erasure of my relationship with my dad. Like we definitely, let's talk about, let's talk about the shitty. Let's talk about it. Well, let's talk about the shitty with you. Let's talk about what he did with you that was wrong. I'm here for all of that. But I'm not going to erase the 30 years of just the many, 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 many stories. And he was daddy. And that was his little girl. So. And I had to give myself permission to do that, you guys. I think that's probably what these tears are about. Maybe it's a release that I'm feeling because I literally had to give myself permission to hold on to some of the beautiful things and the crappy. And I know after he died, I know I said that. I said it's complicated. I think I called it complicated grief. But this past July, it just became, it's just, I guess those things just started surfacing more because I'm not fighting with my dad. See, last year I was still fighting with him. So although I knew that there were positive memories, they weren't able to surface because I'm in the fight. And so that's what happened in July. The 30 years, the beauty of the 30 years surfaced. I was confronted that my siblings didn't have that. And I was like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to erase it. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to hold on to it. And that's how I'm going to remember my dad. I'm going to remember that. So ah, thank you guys for letting me do that. If I was doing a hundred episodes, or even 50, I'd end this reflection and then start a new one. <laughs> but I'm not. We're going to do 25, so. Whew. 
I think I'm going to put you guys on hold so I can get myself together emotionally and transition because I want to come back and talk about spirituality. Nope, 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 nope. I think I'm going to come and talk about the friendship project. Nope. <laughs> I want to talk about family, um, emotional maturing with my family. That's that's what I'll do. Since, this, since I was talking about family, I'll, I'll stay in the season of family. All right, I'll be right back. You guys won't know the difference, but I'm going to get my voice to get myself together, and I'll be back. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm back. Um, I do want to uh, clean, clean something up. I was thinking my sister, if she ever heard that audio, she'd have a fit because she actually, um, she does say, she does make room for the fact that I had a different relationship with my dad and that I had different memories. I don't think she always knew that. I think that's something that she's really come to understand um, since he's passed. And so, and she makes room for that. I do wonder how that feels for her. You know, I don't, I don't know if I would say that she's completely neutral or numb to that. But I do want to say that she does really try to make room for that part. Um, so that um, that needed to clean that up. But in terms of when we all were together, it was just no, Mm-mm. no, no. <laughs> so I do want to come back and talk about that that time that I had with my siblings. It feels so weird because I've never, it's always been my sister. And then I knew I had these other siblings, but we weren't ever as a group together. And so this is something new that we've been trying to do since my dad passed. And honestly, I don't know if, I don't know if I like it. And I don't know if I have to know that right now. Because all I want to do right now is just grieve my dad. And I think they're putting more, and maybe that's the way they're grieving him. By doing, bringing us together as his kids. And maybe that's okay. And maybe next year, maybe next week, tomorrow, I'll say, that's a good idea. But right now, no. (laughs) I don't think it's a bad idea. It's just not my focus right now. So anyway, so in, in the spirit of family, let me tell you that this past July, I was I also really had to confront some immaturity on my part. And saying immaturity feels a little harsh, so I might want to come back and clean that up. But um, there's been a yo-yo, a yo-yo effect uh, or phenomenon that I've had with my my family. When I say my family, I'm usually talking about my mom's side of the family. And I say that because here's what happened. This July, this last month, after spending doing the family reunion with them for about a week, which started off being really good. Overall, it was pretty good, like comparative to other times in the past where I, there was like some kind of major controversy, conflict. 
it didn't happen. At least, I mean, there was, there were like, there were some bubblings of conflict, but compared to what we've done in the past, that, that intergenerational stuff pops up. It's, it's, it was amazing. We, it was nothing like that. So, um, it's just, I don't. I don't feel my healthiest when I'm in that space. I don't feel my healthiest. I'm not. I'm not connected to my body. And. It's not the me that I want to be in the world. I find myself. I feel foreign to myself. And I have a reflection that I'm meditating on about the social self, the social self. I've talked about the self and maybe the social self in the past, but I've had some new thoughts about, about the different selves that we have as social beings. And part of that theory is saying that there is no single singular self and I I did a reflection on this in season 2 I think because there are people who debate this is there one self and we own it's only we only um, it's a delusion I don't want to say a delusion that we mistakenly believe we have multiple cells or do we have multiple cells and we mistakenly believe that we only have one self. Excuse me. And so, um, I don't know if I ever came to peace. I think I have wanted to say there's one self in different iterations of the self. But man, have I had to confront that over the past few years. And seeing, observing me in different settings, in different social settings. And I'm just like, I don't know if we have a singular social self. I think we can have a pattern. and We can have a pattern of the self. But I don't know if we can have a single self. But then I also have a breakthrough this July about the soul. And I've been looking for the core of the person. Where is the core? And for a long time, I wanted to make the case that the INTJ or the Myers-Briggs cognitive orientation is the core self. And I, about a year ago, I stopped saying that. As a matter of fact, I was just in a de- semi-debate with somebody on Facebook, by the way. And I was like, no. No, I don't think that anymore. I don't think the INT, I don't think the INTJ is the most core part of me. I think that there's a soul part of me that then interacted in an environment and then the INTJ was born from the soul part of me. The soul part of me is the essence of the INTJ. But no, the soul part of me extends beyond my cognitive orientation. It extends beyond my cognitive orientation. It extends beyond my body. It is the essence of me. 
And I'm pausing because I think as I've been reading Jewish literature, they refer to the soul the way I would refer to spirit. So I was pausing for a second, like, am I saying the spirit me? But no, I'm saying there's a soul me. There's a spirit me too. But I don't know if that spirit me is really about me. The spirit me, I believe, is what connects me to the universe. It's the connected part of me. Oh my God, this is good. I might as well just go right into the spirituality reflection, shouldn't I? <laughs> I'm right there. Um, I'm right there. And I do feel a need to start bringing closure because I just don't want this to be all over the place because I, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know if I like that. Let's just see how I'm going to do a few episodes and, and see what I think about doing a longer reflection. I don't know. I'm not feeling it right now. But anyway. Anyway, I don't even know how I went to that rabbit hole. But um, so I just wasn't me. I wasn't the I wasn't the me that I enjoy being, that I'm proud of, that I want to celebrate. And that's partly because I can't be that person in the family. Because the family has a script. Our family, all families, there's a script with actors. Excuse me, with parts, characters, parts. And in the family, I play a part. And so I've been trying to straddle that, playing that part while being an evolved me. And evolved me playing an old part. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so. So that's not really what really hit me. I mean, that hit me, but that didn't really say. Um, made me challenge myself as to being immature. What really hit me is the sense of belonging. That's what really hit me. And I want to belong. I especially want to belong to my family. And I don't have that. And um, I'm pretty sure if I, they heard this audio, they'd go, oh, you, you belong. That's fine. But let's talk about what belonging means. Um... And so there are indicators of belongingship. I'm not prepared to unpack that. But there are indicators of what it means to belong. To have membership. And I guess belonging and membership could be related, but I don't think they're the same. And maybe they are. Maybe you can belong in a negative way. You are part of this unit to play this role. You belong here for this. Because before I started this reflection, I was like, I don't belong to them anymore. But what if I do based on the script? 
that doesn't account for the evolved me. And I knew that when my grandmother died, that my relationship to the family was going to change. I saw it. If you want to say that you can see something prophetically, I literally saw it. And that's true. Was but this summer, this July, I was like, there was there were there were remnants of that before she passed. But she was kind of like a smokescreen for me. Because I still belonged to her. I had belonging ship to her, to her house. And her family was there. So it looked like I belonged to them. But I belonged to her. My sister. And so when you think of this, it makes me want to think about love, belonging, attachment. Oh my God, I forgot. That's another thing that I processed this summer. Attachment. But that's, we're going to come up in the friendship project. If, if and when I talk about that. So during the family reunion, um, one night, uh, we, we went to different households. The first night we were at my house and that felt really good to have a place for the family to come and, and, um, to be a part of my space. And there was some awkwardness in that, but I'm not gonna, I'm, there, it wasn't a lot. It was just a little awkwardness in, in just one of my family members. I, so it just felt a little awkward. But nonetheless, we, so we sat outside and we were on the, the porch and everybody was like, this feels like mama's house. I'm talking about my granny's house and how we would all pile up on the porch. And that, I can't tell you how good that felt. It felt good to have that experience and it felt good that they acknowledged that. So it is good that every time they come to this house, people, there are somebody who makes a reference. This is like mama's house. This is like granny's. And so I, I know when I'm in this house and I feel it, that it's not just me making it up. Like it, you can feel it. And I don't know what it is about this house. It feels very much like my granny's house. And it does, it's not, there's no, the layout is not the same. Um, it's not furnished the same, but it definitely feels like her. So anyway, um, so we were sitting on the porch. My uncle, who's a pastor, we started talking about love. And I don't remember the, the nature of this conversation, but I remember talking about love can be toxic. And he really had a hard time understanding that. But it sent me on a journey to talk about what actually is love. So some people say it's a feeling. Some people say it's an act. I recently heard something. Somebody say it's a principle. It's a principle. A commitment. And I do agree with that. But it makes me think about. Many of us talk about love as an attachment. I believe that's what many of us are saying when we say I love you. We're saying I'm attached to you. You're attached to me. And that there are four types of attachments. Only one being healthy. That's a dangerous idea. That's dangerous to say love as an attachment, which I think we do. And then not to interrogate if that attachment is healthy. 
we could very well be saying when I, when we say I love you, we could very well be saying I have an unhealthy attachment to you. That's what it means to say I love you to you. It, it, it is something that I would challenge you, the listener, to, to really consider. What is it? What is love? What are you? What are you really saying when you say I love you? So that's an introspection that came off of that that visit. One of the things when my, my family was here, it's when my uncle was talking and and my attachment, it's, it's very strong to my family, but it's not a healthy attachment. And in that it's not healthy, I have, I remember in 2007, 2008, Make putting some emotional distance between me and my family. I remember it clearly because in 2007 was very difficult. I don't know what was going on around April, May, and June of 2007, but I was very, very angry with my family, very upset with them. And the aftermath of that was me putting distance. And I don't think... It wasn't like I said, today I'm going to put distance. It wasn't anything conscious that I did. And then I've talked about this before. When I got in that 10-year relationship that secluded me. And I'm not going to say the person secluded me. But I was secluded through that relationship. I was really cut off from the world. I found myself gravitating back to my family to have that connection. And then when my grandmother died and I saw that the family was not, I really could see that there was, it wasn't my family. And like trying to be okay with that. Then the pandemic had, I was living with my mom. I was staying at my grandmother's house, then it became my mother's house. So now, okay, I was living with her until I can get back on my feet. And then pandemic hit. And in that pandemic, there was just a lot of connectedness via Zoom and the telephone. And so I came back. And now I'm going to hit another season where I'm going to put some emotional distance. And it just realizes that back and forth. And so I met somebody who just talked about cutting their family, their family off big time, like so much that her sister had to show up on our doorstep one day. And I was like, whoa, that's some serious cutting off. I mean, I know people do it. I have to think about doing it. I don't want to do that. I don't hate my family. I love them. But I want to have a healthy love. And I don't know. One of the things I, I think you can't commit to, you can't commit to healthy love as an individual proclamation. Can't be in a relationship where one person says, well, let's commit to making sure this is healthy. And the other person doesn't do that. It's, it's got to be an active, conscious, jointly committed endeavor.
And what's happened, one of the things I think that I came to in July, another thing about my family is that I can't hold them to a standard of healthiness. Who am I? Other than the social scientist educator. Like, you know, I was thinking how how my training impacts my personal life. I got to accept that. I have to stop trying to treat. It's like I, it's like I have this training, been doing this training, excuse me, I've been doing this work in terms of human development, the human experience, the social experience. Let me say this, the social experience and human development in that for 30 years. And what I fail to recognize, I may have talked about this before, but I fail to recognize on a regular basis that that experience that I've had for 30 years is not self-contained. I don't get off work at 5 o'clock and come home and all of that's erased. Now, when I get home, those theories follow me. The research follow me. The skill set follow me. So I'm in a community that is formed we come together to do something. I was like, well, let's, let's, let's set our norms. Let's create structure for this. Let's set some objectives. They didn't want to do it. And so they didn't say they didn't want to do it, but they kept like putting, ignoring it. So um, last week I said, you guys, let's, I need you to tell me, are we going to do this or not? If you don't want to do it, I don't want to force my views on you, but I need it to be clearly stated. Are we going to set some structure for this this little community that we've built? Some structure, some objectives, be clear about our values. And the lady was like, you know, you've pushed for this. I never would have done that. But in you pushing for this, it made me think about the value of intention. And how I need to do more of that in my my work. Well, this is a lady who's in a leadership position. So it, is, it struck me like, isn't that common sense? If we're going to form together, get into a group, wouldn't we have some structure to it? Be clear about our values. Be clear about what we, um, um, what norms we're going to have. What are our outcomes? And then I said, oh. That might be for my leadership background. I'm not going to say that's a bad thing. What I have to do is be a, be better about remembering that that all of that training, all that experience does not get parked when I leave work. It comes with me and it impacts how I do relationships and how I, and that portfolio or that suitcase, that luggage that comes with me, for my family, it's baggage. For me, it's luggage. But it's baggage for them. It's complicated. And then what hit me, and I may have had this breakthrough, but I keep, there's sometimes, there are some lessons I gotta, I don't know if they have to be on repeat. I have no idea why I have to keep learning them over and over again. This might be one of them. That uh, 
that um, who am I to tell them what a healthy family is and what healthy interactions are, healthy ways of being? I mean, really. But here's the other part of that. If everybody else can bring their knowing into the family and I can't, what does that say about belonging? So this is the occupational hazard. I really think this is an occupational hazard. It's not like I'm a medical doctor and then like, or my niece who's a nurse. My mom was having low blood pressure. He should be able to call my niece and say, what's going on? Like, what do I need to do? She's not my niece. She's actually my cousin, but I call her my niece. But she's, she's my cousin. Um, my aunt and uncle and my mom, they're all preachers. Somebody who's got to struggle with the scripture, a struggle with God. They can call those people in the family. My other aunt is amazing with interior decorating. My house has no pictures on the wall. I'm like, I need you to help me. I can call her. Who's calling me about effective communication? Stages of lifespan development. Macro theories on socialization. How information is stored as knowledge and retrieved. How information is stored, uh, retrieved and applied as knowledge. Who's trauma? Who's calling me to ask me that? No one. No one. I don't have a part to offer in that family other than the part that they have relegated me. And I don't even know if I could simply put it to words right now. So that's not cool. It's not going to, that's not, I'm not doing it. And I'm not going to battle with them. You Like I'm not going to make you confront something you don't want to confront around Wellness and being whole. It's not my business to do that. But I also am not going to pretend like I'm connected. And I don't able to bring, I don't, there's nothing I can, I can't bring my assets, my ass. (laughs) I can't bring my assets and my strengths and gifts into the space. And I saw myself trying to do that. It was kind of gross. I saw myself trying to penetrate that space with my strengths. They don't want it. And that's fine. It is absolutely okay. That's the mature part. That's me maturing. And I'm, again, I may have said this before. I really do want to go back and listen to those breakthroughs I had over the past two years in this project as it relates to family trauma. Because I feel like I've had them. I feel like I've had this breakthrough a little bit, but it feels more pronounced. 
So does it mean I'm going to cut him off and never talk to him again? No. But I'm going to have to really decide I don't know. I don't know. Because I think about family reunions. Do I not participate? No, that's not it. I'm going to (laughs) participate. But I don't even know. I don't even know. I have no idea because participate outside of my gifts, outside of my strengths, that doesn't make sense. I don't know what I'm going to do about that, y'all. But I can tell you what I do know because I honestly, I don't know what I'm going to do about the reunion piece. But what I do know is to just really accept that I'm emotionally, I'm not attached to that family in a healthy healthy way. And if it's not a healthy attachment, it's not an attachment in my opinion. It's not an attachment that I want to preserve and celebrate. It's just not. So you guys have to watch this space because I feel like I need to do some more work with that. But that's kind of where I started in July, and that feels important. Okay. Well, so I've covered two things from July. Remembering my dad, putting some emotional distance, having some emotional maturity around my mom's family. I think I want to try to squeeze one more in from this list. I'm going to do friendship. Seems like all of these reflections are about me with people. <laughs> so let's just, let's, let's do this. So, um, I had a really good session with my heart coach around this friendship project that I have restarted to try to carve, create a friendship project and 2018 when I came back home and I had no friends, no one. I was so, so excluded or secluded in that relationship. I did have a couple of friends in the state that I left, but none back home. None. All of those friends had gone. So I had to create a new project. I called it the friendship project. Like I needed to build friends. Which was difficult because you usually make friends when you're at work or in school. And I wasn't doing either. So, past three years I've worked in three different jobs. For the most part, I have from each job of somebody I can pick up the phone and say, Hey, you want to go meet for dinner? I'm able to do that. One person from each site. And now that I have a new job, <laughs> it'll be really interesting to see how many I have from this last one. And I know you guys are probably really tripping. And you're like, you got a new job all that time. You were talking about all the drama. All the drama. All the drama. All the drama. And I had to spend time processing that. I'm not done processing that. So that's probably why I don't want to talk about it yet. But anyway. So. We are back. And 2022, and I'm back trying to do a the friendship project. My heart coach is like, go back to this app. And I put myself on this app for friendships. And I'm learning a lot about me 
and my desire for friendship through this app. And this app, this conversation I had with my heart coach, and I had three situations in July as it relates to friends that's really giving me this total perspective on friendships. I want to give you the total perspective and then maybe come back and give you more details later. I want to go back to attachment theory. There are four attachment styles. One is healthy. I realize that I vacillate between, I have in the past, vacillated between, I don't even know the names of them right now. I'm not giving you the official names, but one is anxiety driven and one is detached. Okay, one is called an, an anxious attachment style and the other one is called a detached uh, attach, uh, detached, avoidant, avoidant attachment style. And then one is an anxious avoidant. I don't know. I should have that before trying to talk to you guys about it. But anyway, I know there are four. Only one is healthy. And I know that in the past with people, I have vacillated between two. Let me give it to you a different way. Out of the four attachment styles, this is how it goes. And I got this from this guy off of YouTube. But it, he, he took the four styles and he, he gave you a way to understand it. One is, I like you and I like me. That's the healthy attachment style. When you're in a relationship and you like the person and you like yourself in that relationship, you're in a healthy attachment. That's a healthy attachment. The next one to, over at the top is, I don't like me, but I like you. Something's wrong with me. Nothing's wrong with you. And I'm attached to you because in a way that's where I see myself as problematic. Dropping down to the right. Something is wrong with you and something is wrong with me. I can't remember what that one is called. The one that something's wrong with me and nothing's wrong with you, that's the anxious attachment style. Then you drop down, something's wrong with you, something's wrong with me. I don't remember what that one's called. And then you go one to the left at the bottom. Something's wrong with you. <laughs> nothing's wrong with me. <laughs> and that's the avoidant attachment style. So those are the two. The two that I am moving about is the one is something's wrong with me. Nothing is wrong with you. And the other one is nothing's wrong with me, but something's wrong with you. And I think I've spent most of my life in that something's wrong with me. Nothing's wrong with you. Attachment to people, particularly as it relates to my family. I don't have that orientation anymore. That something is wrong with me. Now, do I believe I need to keep growing and developing? Absolutely. But I'm not walking around having relationships with people with the notion that something is wrong with me at all. But I am finding, <laughs> I'm finding it really hard for me to find people that I don't see things wrong, you know, where I don't see. Let me put it this way. I'm having a hard time. Yeah, I'm having a hard time. Um, not seeing some complications in people. And that's something I have to process. 
Like everybody has a complication and no one is perfect. So why am I, what, what can I tolerate, what imperfections can I tolerate and which can I not? And so I have a theory about that. I don't have time to unpack it. Like I do believe that there is a reason, like there is a certain, I do have a tolerance for imperfection. And I have an intolerance. I have an in, and I have an intolerance for abuse of any sort. I have an absolute intolerance of it. And it relieves me to an article that I read about how capitalistic, how capitalism isn't just a work, excuse me, a structure about the economy. It's a structure that gives us our values outside of work. In this high, this idea of hierarchy and capital and profit, benefactors gives us a, like I said, a map for how we are supposed to have, how we're supposed to value each other. And it's a, it's a map, a value system that I don't agree with. And I think that that speaks a lot to my in my ability to connect to people because I have, I don't have a I don't subscribe to a value system that says that their people are on hierarchy. I don't. Most people do, so I have to come back and unpack unpack that. But I can say. Two things that I realized with the friendship project. Three things. Number one, really asking myself, what is it going to take? What kind of people do I need to be around where I can like myself and like them? Number one. Number two, and this is something that I'm, I don't fully know how to explain or because um, I'm still figuring it out. But for me, oh, it's not really about people. I know that sounds weird. For me, friendship is about belonging, connectedness. I, I, I know it, it's, I don't, it's, I'm struggling with trying to articulate the difference. Friendship as in people versus friendship as in belonging. Really feels like Friendship as an emotion, as an emotional exchange. I don't know. I don't know. But I want to figure it out. But I'm saying it. I definitely understand that. Um, so anyway, friendship as belonging is really what I want to say. I don't yet know how to distinguish that from another kind of friendship. And then, yeah. And then I can have activity. Okay, let me say it this way. Friendship as in belonging. And everybody else, I can have activity partners. Activity partners within something that we have in common. And then the activity partners in, in something that we all belong to. 
belonging to a thing and then having friendship within that belonging. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Not belonging to a person, but belonging to a thing. And then the friendship is inside of the thing. It's like structure. So friendship as in connected to structures versus friendships as in connected to individuals. I don't know. I'm going to play with that, you guys. If you, if you have had a similar thought, you want to share it with me, let me know because that would really help. But I will say, based on the three, I had three, I had three conflicts this summer with friends. I did. And they, maybe four. One is a new friend, a a developing friendship, so I don't really count him. But they, they, they each really knocked me on my butt a little bit. Because I'd already gone through this shift with friends in the past. I've worked through that. So I was like, what is this though? But the reality is, up aside from this new friend, all three of those friends are still from my past. They were from the time that I didn't like myself. I'm not going to say I didn't like myself. That sounds like harsh. But I saw something... When things aren't working, I'd say, well, something must, it's not working. Something is wrong with me. I don't think that anymore. So those friendships, when that thing that surfaced, that's problematic in the past, I would have said, oh, something must be wrong with me. I'm not saying it's them, but I'm like, yo, we need to talk about it. But those friendships didn't have, there was no pathway, no channel to have that kind of conversation. None. Because in the past, We didn't have to talk about it. You know why? Because I absorbed it as the problem was a me problem. I'm 51, so I got got a lot of history here. And that's these are these are older friends, at least 20 years. And when I said, "Yo, can we talk about this thing?" All three of them had like a. Like, I want to say a violent reaction. Probably is ex- that's extreme, but they had a reaction. They didn't like it. They did not like me saying, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like, you did this. It was, hey, when you do this thing, what is that? This is how it lands on me. What is, can we talk about what, what what's going on? Why you do it so I can better understand it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So initially, I struggled with, I did, and it's been a long time that something sent me back to, maybe it's me. But because I had three of those in one month, I did go, oh. But I I, I, I just came out. I, I really think it, it's, it's about the matrix and these values that we hold about how we interact with one another. How we interact with one another and who has value in our society, who has worth and who doesn't. I'm working on an essay right now about that, this hierarchy in the social world and how it impacts us in terms of relationships. And I just have to say, I'm like, that's not, it's not my value schema. It's just not, it's not my value schema.
So, anyway, you guys, I'm glad to end it here. I do, um, I know you guys want to hear about the new job. <laughs> and um, there's a, really a reason why I didn't just talk about that. Today is my first day. I'll be, I'll be hanging out with my super, new supervisor today. Feels really weird. And so I'll, I'll have to tell you that story. But I'll have to tell you the story. It's a story. It is a story. And it's a story that started before July. I just didn't talk to you about it. I don't think I did. I don't think I talked about any aspect of it. So it's a story. <laughs> and so I just need to get through um, a couple of weeks and let this solidify and I'll be back to talk about that but I wanted to tell you today is day one I'll be starting my day one today oh my goodness my 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 it's a lot that's a lot a lot of healing that I have to do from that last job a lot of healing a lot of healing and I don't even know how much of that I talked about that with you uh so it's a lot um so I was going to come back and talk about that. And then I want to come back and talk about the spirituality, even though a piece of that came through this reflection. But, and the weight gain, I don't even know what, what there is to say about that. I just got to, just got to hang in there. There's something going, something is going on. So, so anyway, <laughs> if this reflection is at any value for you, please give it a heart. This conversation about family. It's really about connecting to people. It's about connecting. How I connect with my dad. How I want to remember my connection with my father. How I'm connecting with his offspring. How I'm connecting with my mom's family. How I'm connected with friends. It's really, I would say that that's the consistent theme throughout. And maybe July was about having me confront these connections. And if I would have had time to talk about spirituality, I would have been able to say connected to God. I'll just say this one thing just to, just just because I have to. I've come to terms with spirit my spirituality being an NI spirituality as opposed to an SI spirituality. SI SI standing for introverted sensing. It's all about the historic religious stories. Religious stories and religious truths from the past. And NI is about personal stories, personal experiences. And then I can choose, I can use uh, the Bible as sacred text to help me to understand my personal relationship with God. And I don't have to see the Bible as a and limit my spirituality based on how other people interpreted those stories in the Bible. I don't have to do that. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Um, and I believe God is constructed. I do believe there's a higher power, but I think God is constructed. How we see that higher power is an extroverted God that has been constructed by the social world. And so I'm at the, I'm excited to see what's going to happen as I move forward with that spirituality, but just two things. Saying that I have anti-spirituality is one. I'm 
culturally Christian is two and three. Um, the sacred text helps me to have my relationship with God. It, it, that's it. It's not about holding me to some historical standard of what God is. And any uh, any text that helps me to get connected to me is good. It's sacred. So I'm excited about that. I've been looking for a definition for myself for spirituality for a while. So there you have it. July was about connecting. And that is really good. So if any of these points about connecting with friends, family, or God connects to a conversation that you've had in the world, please take this link and share it out. If my moving about, and I did move about a lot, didn't I? If my moving about has caused some randomness in you, I'd love to hear it. I said I was going to stop saying that. Um, I'm wondering if I asked you, you guys to give me your assignment, would you? But we're not going to do that. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to hold fast. If my moving about has caused some random, randomness in you, I would love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yournidom.com. Dot wordpress.com on Twitter, you're NIDOM1, Facebook and YouTube, you're NIDOM. Don't forget to go check out those three YouTube um, videos, Mikasa, and Tukasa, NI and any sameness and leadership. Go check those out. Let me give you your assignment. I didn't talk about attachment theory as relating to my dad. But I did talk about it as related to friendships and my my family. Um, and so I think that's the assignment I want to give you. When you think about the four types of attachments, I like you and I like me. That's the healthy one. That's number one. I like you. I don't like me. That's number two. I don't like you and I don't like me. That's number three. I don't like you, but I like me. That's number four. <laughs> Think about how you feel with different people and your attachment, your I love you attachment. What is it based on in terms of of liking? That's a powerful framework to consider relationships. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Just go through your world and your relationships and plug them in. And how many of them are actually in the positive one? I like you and I like me when I'm with you. That's interesting. That is your assignment. All right, you guys, it has been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye.